Welcome one and all to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is a message that John preached at Freedom Ranch on January 14th, 2024 from 1st Peter and he addresses wives. It's the section in 1st Peter where he talks to wives and John talks about the family. Thus the title of our podcast today. Anything that you need to know to get in touch with us via email, via phone, via internet, website, Facebook page, all that information is in the show notes. So without further delay, here's the message from John. 1st Peter chapter 2 verse Chapter 3, verse 1, talks to you wives. So we're going to have a message on wives. We also have a message on husbands because it follows. Peter's getting into our family business here because he knows, like Paul did, that one of the toughest places to live out the gospel, one of the most difficult places to walk a lifestyle of grace and truth is in the home. And as a matter of fact, if it doesn't start there, it's not going to go anywhere else. What What usually happens is we try to manage our affairs at home on our own and we fail miserably. We've all got problems. Ever since Adam and Eve, how many realize there's never been a perfect marriage? Ever since Cain slew Abel, there's never been a family that's not dysfunctional in some way. The home was intended by God to be a revelation of His love that was tangible and concrete and everybody could see it. However, as you all know from that record in Genesis, there was an immediate attack on the home. Immediately. And of course... The sin that entered the world at that point has affected all of us. And so, Peter knows that. Now, unlike Paul, Peter continued to be married. I believe Paul was married at one time. In fact, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married and have a child. A male child. Peter, on the other hand, well, what happened to Paul's wife... I think what happened to his wife is all the turmoil he went through when he was converted. And so he spent the rest of his days single. However, Peter was married. In fact, he not only took care of his wife, but he also took care of her mom. And everything he did, everywhere he went, He had to concern himself with the family here. So Peter's writing to us out of experience here, as did Paul. uh, But he's telling us here 
just to put it in a context of how we're going to live a peaceable life, how we're going to enjoy living in this, I know this is going to sound weird, but how we're going to enjoy living in this sin-cursed world that's falling apart at the seams. How are we going to enjoy life in this world? And he gives us some tips here. Earlier in chapter 2, he tells us not to hassle over the government authorities. God's in charge of them. Don't worry about them. You do the best you can to do what's right and leave the rest of it up to God. Don't sweat it. Be subject, he says, to the powers that be. Same kind of thing that, that Paul said in Romans chapter 13 when he said, be subject to the powers that be. What does that mean? That means as far as you can, as long as it's possible, ignore them because God's in charge. No. You say, ignore them? I can't ignore them. They're on the news every night. We'll turn the news off then. <laughs> ignore those suckers. Why? Because they're not in charge, even though they think they are. Even though they want you to think they are, they're not in charge. God's in charge. Now, Peter knows this firsthand. Remember when he was preaching in the temple and they came and arrested him and threw him in prison? Told him not ever to preach again in the name of Jesus. And that night, the angel set him free. Peter knew, as did Paul and the other apostles, that there was no human power greater than God. And that his position in this world was to submit himself to God and be subject to the powers that be. Now he's carrying it out a little further and he's bringing it home to us. And I'm just going to read these couple of verses to you and then we'll try to understand them a little, bit, a little deeper here. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wife. While they behold your chaste or your pure conversation or lifestyle coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that of outward adorning, of plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the meek and lowly spirit. Now, one of the things that... Thank you, Gabe. You can have that. That's a, you get a star. For, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there in the first place. I knocked it off. Um, you see, what he's talking about here is you ladies, you wives, putting on the inward beauty that God has assigned to you. But he goes on. Here, let me go ahead and get it. 
For after this manner, <clears throat> in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now that kind of sounds weird to me. I mean, what do you ladies make out of that? Some people say not only what Peter wrote here, but also what Paul wrote, that they were presenting here the arbitrary rules of a chauvinistic God. In other words, he doesn't like women. And that's why he's telling you women, wives, to be subject to your own husbands. And, true to form, throughout history, there have been men in leadership positions who have abused these passages, failing to understand what he's really talking about. He's not, first of all, telling you wives to be a doormat. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not being subject to your own husbands, or as Paul put it, submitting yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, being a doormat is not at all what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is the inward beauty of the Spirit manifesting itself toward your husband. Now, he doesn't just leave it to the wives. Let's go on and read the next verse. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now again, it's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit hard for us to grab a hold of it. And I'll warn you about something here. If you translate it from the Greek, it doesn't really help that much. Okay. So what you need to do is to look at the general tenor of what he's saying here. What he's saying concerns our relationships at home. It concerns trying to live out the gospel Live a lifestyle of grace and truth within a family setting of husbands and wives. And of course, it's not mentioned here, but children as well. I'm not crazy. There is a bug circling me here. So, let's, let's back up and start from the beginning here. All right? When God created man, in the very first chapter of Genesis, we read about it. The Trinity decided, they said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And when they created mankind, he created them male and female. Now, the specific creation account in Genesis chapter 2 tells us how he did that. But the general creation account simply says, 
in order to create man in his image and after his likeness, God created them male and female. It takes both to reveal God. You see, you can't just see God in one or the other. It takes both, which means it takes a relationship for you to be able to see the reality of God. And what God wanted to do from the very beginning was to put His love and His character on display in this world through the relationship of the male and female, through a marriage relationship, and obviously the children that comes. That was God's design. Now, of course, it's been attacked right from the very beginning, and even today it's tough. And I don't know what the current figures are now, but I know it's something well over 50% of people are divorced within the first five years of their marriage. Relationships are not easy. Developing a family is not an easy thing. It's not an easy project. And even though Peter's only, de only devoted a few paragraphs here to that, that subject, it is a very important one because how you relate to each other in a family is revealing what God is like to the world. And so how you relate to each other in the family system is basically dependent upon how you relate to God. And he puts it on an open display. So let's think about that just a minute. Starting with you wives. One of the things that we know historically from the very beginning of the family system, Genesis chapter 2, was that Eve, the first wife, if you were, well, was tempted by the smart snake in the garden, by Satan, and deceived. Paul makes that very clear that she was deceived by that spiritual attack. Adam, on the other hand, who was with her at the time, was not deceived at all. He knew what was happening. See, Eve was deceived into thinking that this forbidden fruit, whatever it was, of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, don't eat it. She was deceived thinking that she had to have that. She was deceived in thinking that her life would be empty without it. She was deceived in thinking that she would be less than Adam if she didn't eat it. Remember, it's a fruit to make one wise. So there's already a little competitive spirit there. She was deceived into thinking that this fruit was going to be the be-all and end-all to her life. It was going to make her live happily ever after, so to speak. Adam, on the other hand, was not deceived. I personally believe that Adam couldn't care less about that fruit. He didn't have any idea that God had told him, I don't want you to eat this fruit. It's forbidden. It's fruit of knowledge, good and evil. And I don't think Adam even thought about it after that. I don't think he was concerned with it at all. But his wife was. 
she was deceived into thinking she had to have something more than what God had provided for her. Adam was not. Now, why do I keep saying Adam is not? The reason I keep telling you that Adam was not deceived is not just because Paul said it. The woman was deceived, not the man. But more importantly, Adam fell prey to a different kind of trap. See, what that woman wanted more than anything else was that fruit, that forbidden fruit. What his wife wanted more than anything else was to have that fruit with, with its promise of it being good for food, wanting to make one wise, and etc. Adam, however, didn't want the fruit. You know what Adam wanted? He wanted the woman, not the fruit. That's why, in his passivity, he stood by idly saying absolutely nothing while his wife was being spiritually attacked. He didn't say a word. In fact, in that narrative, you don't see any word that Adam said at all. And yet he was right there with her while she was being deceived. But he said nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, that marriage relationship that Adam and Eve had it's kind of like the primal marriage relationship for us. And it's kind of like the example that God had set. But when God set that example, when he brought the man to the, or the woman to the man, and they were both transparent, open and honest, and unafraid, things were great. I mean, this was the best possible life. But then Eve was deceived. And Adam was more concerned with losing his wife than he was losing God. Adam put his wife above God. Adam trusted his wife to meet his needs more than God. There was the sin. Now, as you have heard, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, that when Eve ate that apple, or pomegranate, or whatever it was, nothing happened. Not one thing happened. Remember what the smart stake told her? God knows that you'll not die. You shall not surely die. And true enough, when she ate the apple, nothing happened. But when she gave it to her husband, and he ate, sin entered the world. What does that tell us? It tells us that God holds the man, the male component, responsible. That God has a responsibility upon men. He placed a responsibility upon all men to protect, care for, and the welfare of their family. So when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and they both 
opened their eyes, their eyes were open, and they both saw they were naked and they were ashamed of themselves. For the first time, they felt worthless. Absolutely worthless. Now, of course, they tried to make up for it. As you read on in the story, they sewed fig leaves together and tried to make some kind of clothing for them to cover their nakedness with, and that, of course, did not work. They were still afraid. Now, what's my point in that little side issue here? My point is this, that Peter understands full well the susceptibility of a woman to deception. That's why he refers to her as the weaker vessel when he talks to the husband. Was she weaker in terms of physical strength? Of course. Women are by nature weaker in physical strength than men. But more importantly, she's weaker in that she's susceptible to a spiritual attack more than men. Now, you may take that as being, and many people have taken that as being a chauvinistic statement that says, oh, you just don't like women and you just don't want anything to do with women. No. That's not how God views them at all. Remember when he made man, he created a male and female. It takes both to represent who God is. Both in a healthy relationship. And so Peter starts out to address the issues well after the fact that that relationship for thousands of years had been hammered by Satan over and over again. And so he addresses it, starting with the ladies. He said, I want you to subject yourselves to your own husband as unto the Lord. Now, again, let me remind you, that doesn't mean that you're a doormat. What it means is simply this. You give up all of your plans and schemes to change your husband. That's what it means. That's what being subject means. It means, no, you're not going to plan to change them. Now, when you stop and think about it, that's the only healthy way to approach it. Really. You can't even change yourself, much less someone else. And so being subject means we give up control. We quit trying to run things. We give up control. We quit trying to manipulate to make it fit our program. So that's what he's telling you ladies when he says submit yourself, be subject under your own husbands. And when Paul says submit yourselves under your own husbands, as in the Lord. Well, you can't change him, but who can? God. He's the only one that changes any of us. And so here's a little practical tidbit for you wives. If you want your husband to change in some way or another, pray. Ask God for changing. Prayer will do two things. Number one, it will give you peace. 
And number two, it will release your standing in the way of God changing that husband. See, a lot of a lot of people have trouble with this because, you know, when you first get married, you first join together, there's a lot of romance involved in this. Okay, there's a, there's a whole bunch of glitter. But after that marriage glitter wears off, then the real relationship begins to show. And when that real relationship begins to show, there begins to be problems. You cannot put two human beings together, male and female, you cannot put them together for any length of time and not have problems. You're going to have offenses. Why? Because both those individuals, the, ma the male and the female, the husband and the wife, both those individuals have the flesh, have that self-centered nature that was inherited from Adam and his dysfunction. And when you stay together long enough, that flesh is going to raise its ugly head. Believe me. That flesh is going to show up. So he tells the wives first, he says, be subject unto your own husbands. Don't try to change his flesh. You can't do it. Now, contrary to the what most of us believe, which is we can, in fact, change other people, and we believe we can change ourselves. This stands in stark contrast when he says, subject yourself to your own husband. You don't have the power or the right to change him. Only God does. And as you submit to him, as you subject yourself to him, He's talking about the adornment here of a meek spirit, a meek and quiet spirit, which he says is of great value to God. When you think of meekness, a lot of people think of being weak. You know, kind of like a melting milk toast or something. They think, well, they're weak. No, that's not what meekness is. Meekness is probably one of the strongest characters, characteristics. Jesus was meek and lowly at heart, remember? He wasn't weak. So what does meekness really mean? What To be meek here, and that meek and quiet spirit that Peter's saying, you ladies dress yourself up with a meek and quiet spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about mountain-moving faith. That's the first characteristic of meekness. Mountain-moving faith. It's the kind of trust in God that cannot be broken. Mountain-moving faith. So that you are content to let God do what he will with you and everybody else around you. When you're meek, you're immediately quiet. You know why? Because you don't have to run around screaming and hollering and being hysterical and throwing fits to get your way. Why? Because God's got his way 
And you're trusting his way to be best for all of you, best for you and your husband. So this meekness, as we're going to see here later in, in chapter 3, is not just for you wives. It's for all of us. Probably the greatest example I can think of that in the Old Testament was <clears throat> when David's dysfunctional family, and we all know how dysfunctional that was. I mean, David had seven wives, right? And, and one of his boys decided he was going to be king and plotted to take over the throne from David and actually succeeded in chasing David out of the city. On his way out, there was an old boy sitting by the gate there. It was actually a nobody. But he made fun of David while he was leaving. Oh, I thought you were king, and your boy just kicked you out. And he went on and on making fun of David. Joab, David's captain of his army, asked David right then, shall I run him through with a spear? Let me kill him. David said, no. No. His meekness said, God's in charge. God's in control. God's going to do what he wants with me and with my son. God's in charge. I'm not going to try to take over and change things. That's not what I need to do. He was meek before God. See, meekness, the way you get the strength in that meekness is the fact that it's not you doing it. It's God. It's not you changing people. It's God. It's not you coming up with a better idea. It's God. He's in charge. So this meekness we're talking about will naturally lead to a quiet spirit in the fact that you don't have to run around yelling and screaming and getting your way. You can have this meek and quiet spirit, trusting God. Now, the benefit for that, Peter tells us, your husband's going to be won, won over by your meek and quiet spirit. What he's going to see. I remember in my own life, I was, Sandy and I had probably been married about three or four years. I can't remember how long it was when, it's when we were in Denver. And, and she had just become a new believer not too long before that. And I remember at night, I would walk past the bedroom and Sandy would be in there reading her Bible. And I hadn't picked up my Bible for about 10 years. Right? Hadn't picked it up at all. She didn't rail on me. She didn't rag on me to read the Bible, to be the spiritual head of the home or any of that. She was just reading the Bible. And I walked by that door and I looked in there and I saw her reading the Bible. Something changed in me. And it was shortly after that when she went off to work one day as a nurse. She left and went off to work early in the morning. 
And I got up and got a cup of coffee and I was sitting at my desk in my underwear. And I looked over there and there was a Bible covered with dust that I hadn't touched in years. I picked it up and started reading. Started reading Matthew. Eight hours later, when Sandy came home, eight or ten hours later, I was still sitting in my underwear at my desk, drinking coffee and reading the Bible. I couldn't get away from it. Now, who was doing that? Sandy or God? Hmm? Who was doing that to me? It wasn't her. She had a meek and quiet spirit. She didn't say one word to me about it. But God did. And He began to change me from the inside out. I did that for about three or four days in a row. And afterwards, I surrendered. I submitted to God. I knew He was calling me to be a preacher. But my concept of a preacher, I said, ain't no way, God. <laughs> ain't no way I can do that. I can't get up on Sunday morning and tell people how screwed up they are when I'm doing the same stuff. He said, that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to follow me. I've called you to do what I tell you to do. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I think I can handle that. Yeah, I think I want you to show me. But see, it was that meek and quiet spirit that changed me. Now, had Sandy done what a lot of wives would do in that kind of situation and start berating me because I wasn't spiritual, because I wasn't reading the Bible and I wasn't doing this, that, or the other, or here's one, here's a real important one, had Sandy dared to compare me to that preacher, You'd have been all over. You'd have been all over right there. But she didn't. She had a meek and quiet spirit before the Lord, and the Lord changed me. You see, that's what Peter's talking about here, ladies. He's not talking about you being a doormat. He's talking about you trusting God with His omnipotence to do through your husband what's best for you because that's who God called to be the head of the home. He called a man to be the head of the home. That means he is responsible for not only the physical, but also the personal and spiritual well-being of every member of the family. God holds him responsible. He's got a terrific job, guys. A terrific job that only God can do. Now, husbands... Let's get on to your husbands before we forget. Husbands. And I like the way Peter put it here. It, it, it's a little strange in some respects, but he says, Likewise, you husbands dwell with them or live with them according to knowledge. According to knowledge. Don't be ignorant. Now, a lot of people are ignorant. Okay, because especially of spiritual matters, because they have never been taught, they haven't learned anything. But what the very first thing out of Peter's mouth was, you husbands, you live with your wife according to knowledge. It's according to what you know, what you know to be true. 
Now, the knowledge that he's talking about here is the knowledge that only comes from God. See, husbands have no, no special ability to know what's right, what needs to be done. They don't have any special ability any more than the ladies do. But they have the knowledge that comes from God to tell them what to do. See, I've seen a lot of marriages where they're fighting over basically who's in charge, but one of them wants to do one thing and the other person doesn't. And there's a, there's a conflict there. They're fighting over it. The answer is, what does God want? Oh, the wife wants this, and she'll give you a whole bunch of reasons as to why. Oh, the husband wants this, and he'll give you a whole bunch of reasons and justification as to why. And neither one of them are thinking about what God wants. What does God want? See, by very definition, the marriage is what God joins together, and it's a what. It's not a who. So in order to have a healthy marriage, both people, the husband and the wife, need to be connected to God spiritually so they can hear from God. The wife wants to hear from God according to what he's going to do with her husband for her benefit, for her sake. The husband wants to hear from God so he knows what to do in the choices that he has to make in life. See, both are required to trust God. When that happens, then they can experience the joy of giving 100% to each other. And that's really what marriage is. Give 100%. So the very first thing Peter says is, <laughs> live with your wives according to knowledge. The knowledge that comes from God. And then he goes on to enlighten us in a little bit concerning that. He says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Giving honor to the weaker vessel. Not lording it over her. Giving honor to your wife as according. In other words, you need to lay down your life. You need to lay down your life for your wife according to the weaker vessel. Your job is to protect her, not only physically, personally, and spiritually. Your job is to protect her in all areas. But then he goes on to say, as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. What does that mean? Heirs together of the grace of life. It means that God has given her the same amount of grace he's given you. You're just different, that's all. You're equal, but you're different. See, there is no, in a marriage relationship, there is no greater and lesser here. Both are equal in the, in the eyes of God. Both are necessary. They're not the same. As any three-year-old can tell you, they're not the same. Boys and girls are different, despite what the unisex movement is telling us and all that gender garbage. 
They're different, but they're equal in value to God. They have both received the grace of God. Both of them are living in the grace of God. So what Peter is really calling for in our family, and, and even though he hasn't given us a class on marriage and family here, he has touched upon one of the most important, some of the most important principles that we have to be able to live a healthy lifestyle of grace and truth in the family. And that is to submit yourselves unto the Lord. The wife submits herself to her husband as unto the Lord, anticipating God's grace working through her husband for her benefit. The husband submits himself unto the Lord, working for the protection, the care, and the development of his wife. See, they're complementary, not competitive. And so Peter wants us to understand living this grace lifestyle of grace, especially starting out with you ladies, is the most powerful thing on this earth. That meek and quiet spirit that allows God to do what only God can do. Let's pray. Father God, as we come in your presence, we thank you. And we praise you for the work that you've done in our hearts and minds. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit who guides us into all truth, who teaches us and reminds us. And I ask you now, Father, to continue to teach us through your spirit working in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Appreciate you all being here, frozen chosen. Go in peace and warm up. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 